Welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha. And I'm Paddy. This week we join the Doctor, Romana and K9 as they continue their search for the fourth piece to the key to time in the Androids of Tara. As usual, we were discussing the Doctor, the companions and the villains and giving our thoughts on the story as a whole. We would also love to hear your thoughts on the story, so as always to join the discussion you can check us out at Time Team, that's T-I-M-E. T-E-A-M-P on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or you can email us at timetravellingteam at teamproductions.com Now, as is our usual Paddington, I will hand over to you to do the story recap, please. Thank you. You're very welcome. Part 1. In the TARDIS, the Doctor plays K9 in a game of chess. The duo debate the intelligence of their respective moves, but they are interrupted by Romana who reminds the Doctor of their task. She pulls up the coordinates for their next location whilst congratulating K9 on his impending victory. The Doctor quickly changes the subject by asking where they have landed and Romana tells him that they're on a planet called Tara, which is reminiscent of Earth. She goes to get ready whilst the Doctor searches for some old fishing equipment. They leave the TARDIS and Romana gets a reading on the next segment and the Doctor wishes her well on her endeavour as he says he intends to go take a break and go fishing. Romana protests at this shirking of dear duty and follows after him as he makes his way to a nearby river. He tells her that she is frightening the fish and she leaves, telling him that she will be back in an hour with the fourth segment. She makes her way through the woods, following a signal on the locator, unaware that she is being followed by some creature. She eventually arrives at the ruins of an old castle, and in the centre of it, finds a statue of a knight slaying a dragon. The signal gets stronger at the statue, and Romana uses the locator to turn the dragon component of the statue back into the segment of the key to time. She takes it up, but suddenly the creature, which is reminiscent of a bear, bursts out from the trees and prepares to attack her. However, a man in armour wielding a sword appears and drives the creature off before turning his attention to Romana. She thanks him for saving her and asks who he is, which causes him some surprise. She tells him that she is a stranger to the land and introduces herself before saying that she thought that there was no dangerous wildlife on the planet. The man says that he keeps wild beasts in the grounds of his estate to hunt. He then notices the segment and takes it from her, saying that he will give it back to her once he is registered as part of the local law. He finally introduces himself as Count Grendel, Knight of Gracht. He then notices the dragon missing from the statue and says that this could upset the superstitious locals. He then tells Romana that he will take her back to his castle so that he can register the stone and have his surgeon look at her ankle, which he twisted whilst trying to avoid the bear. Back at the river, the doctor is sleeping when he is suddenly woken up by a pair of armed men. They demand to know what he is doing there, saying that he is in the hunting estate of Prince Reinhardt. The doctor comments on their swords, which have an electric current running through them, and the older man, whose name is Swordmaster Zadok, asks if he knows anything about repairing androids. The doctor starts to object, but the other man, Farah, holds his blade on the doctor, making him reverse his decision. They then make their way to Reinhardt's hunting lodge, where Farah continues to further antagonise the doctor by burning his scarf with his electric sword. Their argument is broken up by the arrival of Prince Reinhardt. Reinhardt apologises to the doctor for his treatment and asks him to help fix an android, offering to pay him a reward for doing so. After a bit of reverse haggling, the doctor agrees and Reinhardt takes him to a nearby chair which contains an android body missing a face. Meanwhile, Grendel and Romana arrive at his castle and are greeted by his servant, Till. Grendel tells him to summon Lamia, his surgeon, and he then carries Romana into a lab full of machinery. Lamia arrives a few moments later, and together with Grendel, they marvel at Romana's appearance. Lamia asks who did it, but Grendel says that the more important question is why someone did it. He then has Lamia restrain Romana and orders her to disassemble her for parts. A shocked Romana then looks on when Lamia approaches her with an electric saw. However, after performing a closer examination, a shocked Lamy reveals that Romana is not an android. 
She and Grendel then quickly converse quietly in the corner, and as they do so, Romana takes the locator from her pocket and places it into her sleeve. Lamia produces a syringe, and despite Romana's pleas with her to stop, she injects Romana, who quickly passes out. Back at Reinhardt's lodge, the doctor says that the android can be repaired, but asks what is it for. Reinhardt then places a mask over the android's face, and the doctor notices that it is remarkably similar to Reinhardt. The prince says that his coronation is to be announced tomorrow, but says that Count Grendel will more than likely try to find a way to stop him from being crowned. Reinhardt says that if he is unable to attend the coronation, then he will be removed from the line of succession. Zadok says that there has already been attempts on Reinhardt's life, hence the android. The doctor suggests that they use the android as a decoy, thereby allowing Reinhardt to sneak into the throne room, but he warns them that Grendel could have prepared for such a tactic as well. The doctor gets to work, and later he presents a perfect double of Reinhardt. The android then leaves the room, and the real Reinhardt calls for a toast to the doctor's success. However, they all begin to pass out after they realise that the wine has been drugged. The doctor staggers for the door, but falls to the ground after he manages to open it, revealing Grendel standing outside. Part 2 Farrah wakes the doctor up at sore point and calls him a traitor. The doctor expresses ignorance as to what is going on, and Zadok reveals that Reinhardt is missing, most likely having been taken by Grendel. The doctor goes to check on the android, but Zadok says that it is pointless as the real Reinhardt is in danger. He says that he and Farrah will rescue him from Grendel's castle, but the doctor says that it is a foolish plan. He says that they should instead try and present the android at the coronation, using whatever plan they had to sneak the real Reinhardt into the castle. Farrah states his dislike for the idea of an android on the throne, but the doctor reminds him that it will be only there until they find the real Reinhardt. Zadok poses his concerns about the plan, asking what will happen if the android malfunctions, and the doctor says that he will double-check to make sure that he is fully functional. Zadok then demands that the doctor stay with the android at all times, and after some initial protest, the Dying Lord agrees when threatened by Farah. He then goes outside and summons K-9 using Hill's electronic dog whistle. The robotic dog arrives a short while later, and the two Tarans are shocked by his appearance. When the doctor compares him to an android and kicks it for good measure, Farrah draws his sword before the Doctor can warn him and receives a stun blast from K-9 for his trouble. The Doctor then asks where Romana is and K-9 says that he cannot locate her. Zadok asks where she was last seen and after the Doctor tells him where she was headed, Zadok says that she is possibly a prisoner of Grendel. The Doctor tells K-9 to go scout Grendel's castle whilst he and the others take the android Reinhardt to the Royal Palace. At Grendel's castle, Romana wakes up and once again asks for her freedom, saying that she is of no benefit as a prisoner. Grendel ignores her pleas and instead brings her down to the dungeons and shows her one of the cells. Inside, Roman is amazed to see a woman who is her exact double, leading her to ask if it is an android. Grendel says that the woman is actually Princess Strella, another member of the royal family who has been missing for some months. He tells Romana that he intends to marry Strella so he can inherit the throne and then kill her once his succession is assured by law. Roman asks what he needs her for and he says that Strella has refused to marry him, so he intends to use her as a replacement. Romana says that she will also refuse, but Grendel says that she won't, and then comments on his luck of having two beautiful wives. Lamia smirks at this remark, and Grendel says that she is jealous as he once showed her favour in the past. He then shows her to another cell, where Reinhardt is kept captive. Romana notices that he is very ill, and Grendel says that she will act as his nurse, ordering his men to hold her whilst Lamia puts a chain on her. Meanwhile, the Doctor and the others make their way to the secret entrance of the palace, and they see that it is guarded by one of Grendel's men. Farrah says that he will deal with him, and he manages to sneak up on him and knocks him out with a blow from his sword. They then make their way through the tunnels, where Zadok and Farrah explain that they were built during a plague that ravaged the planet, killing 90% of the population. They say that the drive to restore the population levels is what led to the construction of the androids. Back at the entrance to the tunnel, the unconscious guard is discovered. Inside the dungeons, Romana and Reinhardt talk about their mutual acquaintance with the Doctor, with the former saying that he will find a way to rescue them. 
Romana tells the ill Reinhardt to conserve his strength, and the prince says that he'd rather not give Grendel the satisfaction of dying in his dungeon. Suddenly a pair of guards burst in and take Romana away with them, as Reinhardt watches on helplessly. In the tunnels, Grendel's men catch up with the doctor and the others, and Zadok and Farrah tell him to take the android into the palace whilst they hold off the guards. However, the doctor can't open the secret door as the handle won't move. Inside the royal palace, the assembled nobles await the arrival of Reinhardt as Grendel's men take up their positions to block off any entrance that he may come through. Kirster, the commander of the guards, tells Grendel that he has disguised his men as the peasants so that when Reinhardt does not show, they will begin to chant of admiration and love for Grendel. The Archimandrite, the high priest of Tara, appears and says that there is no sign of Reinhardt and informs Grendel that they may choose him to take the throne in his absence. Grendel, who is a counter for this, says that he will only take it once Reinhardt has been given every opportunity to take the throne. The start of the coronation ceremony begins and everyone makes their way into the throne room where they are shocked to see Reinhardt on the throne sorted by the Doctor, Zadok and Farah. A stunned Grendel gives a secret command to Kirster, who then leaves whilst the Archimandrite begins the coronation. The Archimandrite then asks for the android to give his official declaration. The Doctor surreptitiously turns on its voice unit and the android begins to speak. Once he is done, the Archimandrite calls on the assembled nobles to pledge their allegiance. Everyone is shocked when Princess Strella enters and makes her way to the throne room. She gives her oath of allegiance, but the Doctor suddenly grasps the royal scepter from Reinhardt's hands and clubs her over the head with it. Part 3 Everyone looks on in shock as the Doctor pulls the hair from Princess Strella's head to reveal a hole in the skull showing wiring. Zadok asks how he knew she was an android, and he says that he heard it make an error when she was making her pledge. Grendel demands to know who the Doctor is, but the Archimandroid asks why someone would send an android to the ceremony. The Doctor says that someone wanted to kill Reinhardt, and the Archimandroid wonders who could be behind the plot. Sensing that he will be suspected, Grendel says that he will lead an investigation to see if there are any more androids in the vicinity, and says that he will have his men guard Reinhardt. Zadig refuses, saying that he is the head of the Prince's bodyguard, but Grendel's demand to hear from Reinhardt directly, knowing that he is an android on the throne. The doctor interrupts, saying that the prince is tired and that as his personal physician, he orders everyone to let him rest. After everyone leaves, the doctor says that he will need to recharge the android and work on his speech unit. At Grendel's castle, Romana is brought to, to Lamia's lab, where she is asked about the segment of the key to time. Lamia says that she tried to find out what it is, but it damaged any piece of equipment she used on it. Romana feigns ignorance, saying that it is a trinket that she found, but Lamia refuses to give it back to her, thinking it might be part of something else. Grendel arrives and reveals the failure of the android of Princess Strella. He then notices Romana's interest when he mentions the Doctor, and thinking that she knows him, orders Lamia to create an android duplicate of her. Meanwhile, K9 arrives at the Royal Palace and informs the Doctor and the others that he has located Romana at Grendel's castle. Zadok says that Grendel holds the advantage as he has the real Reinhardt and Strella as well as Romana, but the Doctor says that everyone believes the android Reinhardt to be the real deal. Zadok says that he must still have an audience with the Arkham android to complete the coronation. The Doctor asks how long the android will be able to function, and after a brief scan, K9 says that he will only be operational for about three hours. The Doctor and Zadok test the android, which seems more intelligent and articulate than the real Reinhardt, which causes Zadok concern. As he and the Doctor discuss the fears surrounding androids, Till arrives and says that he has been commanded to speak to the Doctor in private, and confides that he has been sent by Lamia. The Doctor takes him aside, and Farrah wonders if they can trust either of them. He draws his sword, but sheepishly puts it back when K9 threatens him. The Doctor returns and says that Lamy has offered to return Romana to him in exchange for safe conduct for her and Grendel out of the kingdom. Farrah says it is surely a trap, and the Doctor says he knows that, but he intends to go anyway. Back at Grendel's castle, the Count congratulates Lamy on the android Romana that she created. Romana says that the Doctor won't be fooled by it, 
but Grendel confidently states that with the time and location he's arranged for the exchange, it will be too dark for the Doctor to spot the difference. They give a demonstration of the android's capabilities, and Romana watches as it blasts a nearby dummy when they play a recording of the Doctor's voice from it. Grendel then leaves with the android, and Lamia goes to fetch a guard. While she is gone, Romana takes a small screwdriver and hides it just as Lamia and a guard return to the lab. They then bring her down to the dungeons where she is reunited with the ill Reinhardt, who is asleep. Reinhardt pleads with Lamia to help them, saying that Grendel is only using her and has no romantic interest in her. Lamia says it is better than having nothing, and after she leaves, Romana gets to work on trying to pick the lock of her chains. She manages to get free and tries to rouse Reinhardt, but he says that he is too ill to leave and instead tells her to go and find Zadok, who will know how to rescue him. They call a guard into the room, and Reinhardt knocks him out with Romana's chains, allowing her to escape. She finds Grendel's horse, and after a few moments trying to figure out how to get it to move, the horse takes off with the guards firing their electric crossbows after it. At the site of the exchange, Grendel and Lamia arrive with the android and a squad of guards. Kirster spreads his men out, and Grendel tells Lamia to take the android with her and to prepare for the doctor's arrival. She heads into a nearby pavilion, but discovers the doctor there waiting for her. After expressing some initial shock at his presence, she talks to the doctor about the deal that she offered. He asks where Romana is, and after he agrees to her terms, she goes to get the android. She brings it into the pavilion and shows it to the doctor, failing to notice K-9 by his side. While the doctor goes to speak, K-9 warns him, causing him to duck down to ask what is the matter. The android fires at him but misses, and Lamia moves it so he can get a better shot. However, K-9 manages to disable it, and Grendel, hearing its cries, orders his men to open fire on the pavilion. Lamia rushes out, calling for help, and is accidentally killed by one of the blasts, leading Grendel to call off the attack. Grendel calls out to the doctor and swears that he won't be harmed, but quietly orders Kirsten to have his men open fire the minute he comes out of the pavilion. K-9 warns the doctor not to go out, but he says that he will be alright. However, he dashes back inside after a series of blasts hit the door around him, and he petulantly calls out to Grendel, calling him a liar. He then has K-9 cut a hole through the rear wall of the pavilion, giving him a chance to escape. Grendel orders his men to fire after them, but they hear a horse approaching, and Cursed orders his men to cease fire, thinking that the rider is Princess Strella. However, Grendel realises that it's Romana and orders his men after her. Romana picks up the doctor and they gallop away as K-9 stays behind and cuts down the pursuing guards, much to Grendel's frustration. The two Time Lords head back to the hunting lodge and find Zadok and Farrah discussing a plan to attack Grendel's castle with their own men. Romana reveals the presence of Reinhardt in the castle and tells them of his illness. Before they can discuss more, they see Grendel approach under a flag of truce, and Zadok orders him to be unharmed. Grendel enters and demands to speak to the doctor, and they go to speak in private. Grendel commends him on being a worthy adversary, but advises him that he is in a very precarious situation. He says that the moment anything happens to the android of Reinhardt, Zadok will be forced to kill the doctor so that he can't expose anything about their plot. He then suggests that the doctor take the throne, vowing to support him. However, the doctor reveals the offer to Zadok, who accuses Grendel of treason. Grendel says that it was only treason so long as there was a king, and throws the spear which had the flag of truce attached to it into the android of Reinhardt. The android explodes, and Grendel uses the distraction to escape. Var goes to shoot him with a crossbow, but the doctor knocks it from his hand, showing him that Grendel has Romana with him as he flees on horseback. Part 4 Zadok orders his men to pursue Grendel, and Far admits a begrudging respect for Grendel's audacity and courage. Zadok, however, doesn't agree with his statement, saying that he should have killed him when he had the chance. Grendel returns to his castle and brings Romana back to Reinhardt's cell in the dungeon. He then reveals his plan to have Reinhardt marry Romana, who is still believed to the prin- Princess Strella, and then have Reinhardt killed. He will then marry Romana to guarantee his succession to the throne before killing her as well. He then goes up to his main hall to meet the Archimandrite, who he has sent for. He tells him that R- Reinhardt is sick and close to death and wishes to marry Princess Strella before he dies. 
He then informs the Archimandroid that after Reinhardt dies, he will marry Estrella, and, and as both events will be royal weddings, only the Archimandroid could perform them. Grendel then goes down to visit the real Princess Estrella and beseeches her to go through with his proposal, but she refuses, seeing that she will never marry him. He then tells her that she had better be careful, as she is now dispensable due to the presence of Romana. He then leaves to go ch to check on Reinhardt, and Romana says that he is getting worse and needs immediate medical attention. Grendel ignores her and instead urges Reinhardt to keep up his strength until after the wedding ceremony. Both Romana and Reinhardt refuse to cooperate, and Grendel threatens to kill Estrella unless they do as he commands. Meanwhile, back at the hunting lodge, Zadok and Farah plan a siege of Grendel's castle, but the doctor says that it will take too long. He instead says that he and K9 will sneak into the castle and let Zadok's men in once the night has fallen. Later that night, the doctor and K9 make their way across the, the moat in a small boat. They reach a small doorway under the bridge and K9 starts to cut his way through the wood. He eventually manages to cut through and the doctor tells him to stay on guard whilst he goes to open the drawbridge. He then tells K9 not to fall into the water and then makes his way inside. Meanwhile, the Archimandrite arrives for the ceremony and Grendel goes to retrieve Romana and Reinhardt from the dungeons. The duo are dressed in proper wedding attire and they reluctantly make their way up to the main hall. The Archimandrite begins the ceremony and Grendel quietly reminds him not to do anything that will cause him to kill Strella. When the Archimandrite reaches the section of I Do, the Doctor, having taken a quick detour to retrieve the segment of the key to time from Lamia's lab, arrives and objects. A furious Grendel draws his sword and challenges him to a fight to the death. Romana warns him to be careful, having heard of Grendel's prowess with a blade, but the Doctor says that he'll be okay. After initially mocking Grendel's formal attitude to the fight, the duo begin to fight in earnest. At one point the Doctor manages to disarm Grendel, but he gives him back his blade. However, Grendel tries to stab him in the back, and so the fight continues. Romana spots Kirster leaving, and goes to follow him, whilst Reinhardt prevents Till from interfering in the fight. The Doctor tells Reinhardt to open the drawbridge, and the Prince forces Till to show him the controls for it. He manages to get it open, and Zadok leads his troops in, killing any of Grendel's men that they encounter. Meanwhile, Romano follows Kirster down to the dungeon, where he's preparing to kill Strella, but she distracts him long enough for the princess to knock him out. While this is happening, the Doctor and Grendel's fight have taken them from the main hall into the outer courtyard, where they can hear the commotion caused by Zadok's men. The Doctor tells him to surrender, but he refuses, and instead dives into the moat, vowing to have his revenge. The Doctor returns to the main hall, where Reinhardt is celebrating with Zadok and the others. Reinhardt congratulates him on his victory over Grendel, and offers the Count's lands to the Doctor in the hopes that he will stay. The Doctor thanks him but says that he has another engagement and asks where Romana is. Reinhardt says that he saw her follow Kirster and he realises that she and Strella are in danger. He and the Doctor rush down to the dungeons to find the Princess instructing Romana on how to do Needlepoint. The Doctor says that they need to leave and Romana says that they need to find the key segment and rushes to the lab, leaving Reinhardt and Strella to their happy reunion. The two Time Lords arrive at the lab and Romana panics as she can't find the segment. The Doctor tells her to use the locator and she uses it only to find out that he has it. He chides her for her carelessness and then leads her back to the TARDIS. Romana then asks where K9 is and he rushes to the battlements to call out for the robotic dog. Once there, he sees K9 in the boat adrift in the moat after it came loose from its moorings. K9 calls back to him, leading the Doctor to start laughing. End of the story. Thank you all very much. You're very welcome. So, I think this is a first where we have a villain vowing to get evening with those meddling kids from Gallifrey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, while we wait for his inevitable but also potentially not inevitable return, we'll just go to the trivia spot. 
Cool. So the air date for this story is the 25th of November to the 16th of December 1978. The writer's story is David Fisher. This is story two of four for David. We discussed his work last week in Stones of Blood, and we'll see his work again in The Creature from the Pit and The Leisure Hive. The director of the story is Michael Hayes. This is the first of three stories for Michael. We will see his work again in The Armageddon Factor and City of Death. Michael passed away in 2014. Those of you who are a fan of old cinema and old uh, stories um, may notice that the plot of this serial is very heavily inspired by a film called The Prisoner of Zenda. It is so heavily inspired by The Prisoner of Zenda that the working titles were The Androids of Zenda, The Androids of Zend, and The Prisoners of Zend. (laughs) That book was in my school library and I was going through like a classics phase back then. And I was like, oh, I'll, you know, I'll eventually read it at some point. Never got around to it. I, I'd never heard of it before this story. Um, but I remember a couple of weeks ago when watching, I think it was, it wasn't Stones of Blood. So it would have Pirate been the Planet? one. I think it was Empire Planet, watching the DVD special features on it. And they were talking about this season in general. And they, they they mentioned like, yeah, no, it's just a direct ripoff of the prisoner of the, like literally like, it's exactly the same to the point where according to the DVD documentary, the actors would actually refer to themselves as the characters that they played, <laughs> like the com- the comfort characters in the prisoner of them. That so, yeah. Um, another working title was the Seeds of Time, which nah, I don't even know where the fuck that came that comes from. It makes no sense. Um, according to the DVD documentary, it was actually Mary Tam who designed Romana's purple outfit. Um, because the originally planned costume was this annoying, scratchy tweed. Mm. So in her outfit, kind of, those who haven't seen it, her outfit kind of looks like um, it's a purple version of what are those quarters? I'm thinking of. It's not quarters. Or whatever. There's particular royal uniform. I'm thinking of. Like a musketeer's outfit. No, it's it's something modern. They have like the funny like flat hat. Oh, the Not... Swiss guard. The Swiss guard. No, I thought it was a British royal thing. I was thinking of. It also kind of reminds me of like um, you know, the formal wear for like a lady horse rider, like you know, for like dressage riders or horse jumpers. Yeah, a bit. Yeah, um, but there, there was some. I, I can't think of one. There, there was something like. Almost like a page boy, like a royal page esque mm. outfit. Did you? Know? Oh, whatever. We'll have put a picture on Twitter. Wait, you can see. Wait, them. you don't. You don't mean fucking the the beef eater guards from the Tower of London? No, no. no but there's right. a okay. there's a yeah. There's a different. No, after, yeah. there'll be a picture on Twitter. You can see it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Also, you have Google. Go Google it. Yes. Um, but yeah, so originally it was meant to be Tweed. And she was like, yeah, no. <laughs> um, Michael Hayes also mentions that Grendel's horse was actually played by a one-eyed, one-eyed horse called Winston, who performed very well, mm. even though he only had one eye. Mm. Um, another thing that Michael Hayes mentioned was that, you know, at the end, we've got a canine in the boat <laughs> by yeah. himself. Um. Michael's 14-year-old son, Patrick, was actually the one rowing the boat <laughs> with K-9 in it. But obviously he was hidden so we couldn't yeah. see him. Uh. 
Um, there's a nice sort of running joke, you know, with, you know, the doctor just, you know, at the start of the story, just wanting to go fishing and that's it. Because when he was first recruited by the White Guardian, obviously he was planning a holiday. And then there's, of course, the ever running joke of whenever the doctor tries to go on a holiday, it doesn't work out the way he wants. Um, I don't think Sarah J never made it to Florana. Um, Except in fan fiction. Um, So that's a nice sort of continuity thing going through as well. (laughs) Well, given what the blue planet of Metabilis tree turned out to be. Maybe it's a good thing she didn't turn up on fucking Florida. Maybe it's a good thing that never Doctor gets to go to these holiday destinations. Hmm. Um, interestingly, so the Doctor Who opening credits is usually goes story title, writer name, episode number. That's the usual format. This story was story title, episode number, writer name. Which I didn't pick up on because not going to lie, other than the first episode, I usually fast forward through it after that point. Um, and I only read this on the TARDIS wiki today, so I obviously haven't seen it again, so I, I can't confirm. But apparently, for the TARDIS wiki, mm. uh, goes out of order for some reason. Um, Mary Tam actually plays four roles in this story. Now, she says on the DVD three, but it's actually four. Because she has Romana, Princess Strella, the Princess Strella android, and then the Romana android. Mm-hmm. So Mary Tam was somehow like doing like, "Oh, I've Princess Strella myself and the android." I'm like, no, no, there's two androids, my love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you did an android of both of them. However, um, on screen and in Radio Times, she's only credited with one role, which I think is a bit shit. Although a funny feeling. Although I'd have to look back and check, like when you know Patrick Troughton was playing uh, Salamander. Salamander and when um, Bill Hartnell was playing the Abbot, I can't remember if they were billed twice. I think I th- they were. I think they were billed twice. Yeah, so it's a bit of a short shrift that she only gets billed once for four fucking roles. Like, I can get maybe mm. not billing her for the android roles, mm. but, like, she should have been billed for Princess Strella. And also, it's a bit, it's a bit, like, if they were, like, going, oh, we don't want to spoil anything, it's a bit rich of the Radio Times not fucking spoiling anything. Yeah, I mean, if, if you look at the Radio Times cast listing, it often, yeah, just, you know, then again, when we have episode titles called the something, something of the Daleks, do you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. Doctor Who has never been the best at actually keeping things secret, let's be honest. No, no. Ugh. So, if you're a fan of the brain of Morbius, you may have noticed that one of the chairs in Lamia's room was previously used as one of the chairs in Dr. Solon's uh, castle. So, a bit of a reuse of props there. Uh, Cyril Shops is in the story again. Is the only story to feature him where his character doesn't die. Is he the arch- <laughs> is he the, arch- the Archimandrite? I believe so, yes. We're not yeah. discussing him, so I believe no. so, yes. Yeah, because... Um, yeah, Planet of Spiders, yeah. uh, Ambassadors of Death, and Tomb of the Cybermen. Yeah, he's the only one where he doesn't die. <laughs> um, David Fisher, so our writer, he was actually very proud of Count Grendel. Um, he really liked the character that he made up, and so he decided to have him escape death at the end, mm. so he might potentially be brought back for a return. Although there was never any formal return ever planned. He just left it open-ended. To be honest, I sort of just imagine that, like, K9 clearly shot him. Like, <laughs> like, 
Obviously. <laughs> you had him like, jump into a moat and start swimming yeah. away, and then later on we see K9 in a boat. It's like, oh yeah, K9 shot him. Like, come but, on. But I, like I, I, to I, allow him to escape is just like a shitty way. Like, they're all like, yay, happy family. It's like, I, no, you're like evil villain just ran away. No, I just because because he he does like a proper like Olympic style dive off the thing, and I just have this image of him now going through the air, and Kayla just shoots a midair bag, and just the belly flop of the body is in the water. Oh. I just imagine sort of like swimming away and like you know maybe trying to get back into the castle or whatever, and he just comes face to face with Kayla, and Kayla's like, or is it like the, I am the going of... to stun, and he stuns him, and of course he sinks to the ground to the bottom. Or is like the sort of uh, Lord of the Rings thing, you know, like you're like K nine betrayed him to his death, just bang. <laughs> uh. Um, one of the weirdest things I think in this episode, and you probably agree with me, is the Taran Wood Beast, the thing that attacks Romana. Yeah. Now again, this is where special features are great because Mary Tam was saying the special features how to her this thing looked amazing. Because she's got very bad eyesight, <laughs> and she doesn't wear glasses when she's acting. She, she acts similar to um, uh, Katie Manning. She doesn't wear her glasses. <laughs> so she actually has no clue what the fucking thing looks like. So to her, it looked quite cool, but it actually looks quite shit. Like that—that that is the most like last two items at the Halloween shop <laughs> type creature I've ever seen. You know. <laughs> Um, so originally it was meant to be a bear, mm-hmm. but they didn't have the budget for a bear costume to be made. So Dorian James, the costume designer, hired a bear costume from another costumer. And I don't know what the fuck they did with the face. Yeah, it was like some weird, like, <laughs> Cause, like ja- the body part is fine. Like for a 70s show, the body part was fine. It was just the face. The face yeah. is fucking weird. It's like some sort of weird Japanese demon mask or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of faces, uh, the faceless mm-hmm. android um, that we see when we first meet the android that's going to be uh, Prince Reinhardt or whatever um, is based off the same robot head that was used for Sarah Jane in the android invasion. Mm-hmm. Same basic concept. Um, Michael Hayes <laughs> describes in the DVD feature how he actually was given the draft one script, which is very rare for directors. Mm. Usually directors get a draft two or a draft three. Usually the producers like to go through the script first and be like, no, nah, not nah, X that, X that, we're not doing that. And so the mm. the reason why they used to do that apparently was because they didn't want the director falling in love with the first version. And then the version they actually get is a bit shite in comparison. Um, yeah. Apparently that wasn't the case for this one. He was given the first draft. And it wasn't necessarily that he didn't fall in love with it, but it scared the ever-living life out of him. Because David Fisher had originally hoped that Tara might be populated with, like, mythological animals. So, like, unicorns and, like, pegasi. And so, (laughs) the director describes on the DVD, he's like, I'm reading through the script and there's horses with wings. And I'm like... (laughs) How do they expect me to do horses with wings? Um, and you know he hadn't decided if those animals would be natural or mechanical. David Fisher was doing the script, but that's what he originally wanted. It was meant to be a fairy tale, mm. you know, and he really yeah. wanted to lean into those like legendary fairy tale elements. He also envisioned that 
Till, who's the hunchback servant of mm-hmm. Grendel, that he would be a dwarf rather than a hunchback. Again, I think tying into fairy tale and whatever, rather than let's just make him Igor for some random reason. But uh, actually, in saying that, because of what he because of what he looked like, that and that story, what that story reminded me of. Um, do you remember like, the, like, the original footage from the Jabba the Hutt scene in A New Hope? You know, where he's yeah. just this very big, bulky no, gangster. Yeah, yeah, as opposed to the big slug lord. And then for like the remaster, yeah. they did the slug thing. That kind of reminds you of that because Till does look a small bit like that guy. Yeah, he does a bit. Um, I, can't, I, I would have quite liked to see unicorns and stuff. Oh, Could yeah. they do it on a Doctor Who budget? Fucking doubtful. One thing they did manage to do, though, Mm-hmm. is the castle mm. so um it was filmed at leeds castle which is not in leeds it's in kent interesting random fact right um but what they did was they took leeds castle and then they had someone do a painting a bit like what you see in like say mary poppins or something like where mm-hmm. they do like the painting um to add all the because you know it's like some of the turrets are quite tall and they're sort of brown as opposed mm. to like the white stone those mm. are all painted in oh. um to make it look more fantastical um leeds palace doesn't ha- or leeds castle doesn't have it has like your normal square upy downy stuff mm. but it doesn't have the really tall towers it's actually quite level it's like i think it's like three floors or something so it's quite a level flat structure mm. um so they actually painted in the extra tall bits oh that's cool which i think actually looked quite cool hmm. so we see romana on a horse mm-hmm. i'll discuss more my thoughts about the horse later on um and mary tam is actually a very skilled horse rider however she refused to do the horse riding sequences herself because they wouldn't let her wear a helmet mm. and she felt that the potential for an accident was just too great so Obviously, when she's going with Grendel, I think there are times with Grendel where it is Mary Tam, and there are times with Grendel where it's clearly not Mary Tam. Yeah. There's one bit in particular where they're just going across like in the distance, and it looks like a really bulky guy with really fake boobs. <laughs> if that is realistically Mary Tam, sweetheart, that shot did you no favors. But I have a sinking suspicion it's not. <laughs> Ma- Mary, fix your boobs. You look like a bleeding Picasso. <laughs> yeah (laughs) um which yeah i mean i can understand that i mean the later sequences romana doesn't have her hat on she's lost her Mm -hmm. hat at that point Mm -hmm. um so yeah particularly riding side saddle which is what she was doing Mm um obviously more chance of something going wrong riding side saddle and also if the horse was blind in one eye yeah it's like it's a one-eyed horse like it's it's a one-eyed horse and you're riding side saddle i can understand her being like you won't let me wear a helmet no and and that's that's actually a very interesting thing um when it comes to movies and tv shows where particularly with horse riding where you have people who are skilled they can ride mm. a horse but they often don't do the action sequences because a horse rider who doesn't wear a helmet is not a horse rider who's taking all the necessary precautions. Mm. You know, um, so yeah, I'm actually I'm actually kind of proud of her for doing it. Um, people who are a fan of Beowulf, you know, going back to classics, yes, uh, 
that would be where Grendel's name came from. It's a bit mm-hmm. fucking on the nose, but there you go. Um, yeah. Also, if I'm correct, Alamia is some sort of demon from, I think it's Eastern European folklore, but I think there's also some kind of Greek component to it as well. I think so, now that you mentioned it. Yeah. It's not ringing a specific bell, but it's ringing a bell. There's a bell somewhere in the distance. Yeah, being like, like, this is familiar. Um, I'm actually just going to check there now because I remember Lamia being the demon from Drag Me to Hell. Uh, okay, yeah, Lamia is an ancient in ancient Greek mythology was a child eating monster. Hmm. I can kind of say David Fisher is really big for his ancient connections. Yeah, like, like we it, had the same thing last week in in Stones of Blood where he like hmm. tied in a lot of you know ancient mythologies and stuff, which was what he was commissioned to do so he was hmm. meant to write the mythological stories as in like the looking back stories that was his yeah directive. Forte. yeah um for this one we mentioned that it's basically the prisoner of zenda that that's basically the point like he was literally told hey do you know the prisoner of zenda and he's like yeah he's like can you do that and just talk to who and he's like yeah no problem. <laughs> like easily done <laughs> like so simple um but originally the planet was called zend with the site of the coronation being a castle located in Tara, which I mentioned last week about Ireland and mm-hmm. the Tara brooch. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a reference to the ancestral seat of the kings of Ireland and according to mythology of the Tua de Danon. So mm-hmm. that was originally meant to be the connection to Tara and then they just called the planet Tara, which, you know, is still fine. Um, but I do like the fact that David Fisher, like when he was doing all this mythology stuff, that like he was looking to Irish mythology as well. I think it's pretty cool. Which, despite the popular myth from Mystic Nets and Tiernan Og, is not within five minutes walking distance of Ulster. <laughs> no. <laughs> that was a great fucking show. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's like the Irish. If you've never seen it, A, look it up on YouTube because the theme tune. Actually, no, mm. there's two theme tunes. The original theme tune was a fucking bop. That was yeah. fucking brilliant. Mm. But it was basically the Irish version of the Power Rangers. Yeah. But like it was. the ancient Irish version of the Power Rangers. Mm. It was fucking phenomenal. And then they brought in like that extra, the version of the extra ranger who was just a Viking and he was just a fucking annoying pain in the hole. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still gutted that, unless you have it, I gave. I think, no, I have it. I think I have Do it. Do you have it? Yeah, because yeah. I gave a former friend of ours my copy of the mystic knights of Genova, which ironically i got a star at a stargate convention in chicago mm. <laughs> um i gave it to yeah. a friend of ours but i never got it back but he lived <laughs> no, no, no. You he got, was you he got... was friends with you as well at one point so i think it may have no no ended no up with you no what happened was uh, off topic he gave it back to you gave out about the historical inaccuracies in it oh then, and then I gave it to you. Then, then you came to my house and we watched like the first ten episodes before you left it with me, <laughs> and we were like, "How in the name of Christ could he possibly think that this was historically accurate?" <laughs> the leprechauns are a bit oh, of a giveaway. Anyway, back on yeah, point. If you've never high. seen it, fucking it. Google it. It's brilliant. <laughs> um, also originally, the duplicate do you know mm-hmm. the way like romano was the duplicate for it was actually meant to be the doctor the doctor was meant to be the one who had the duplicate mm-hmm. but they decided that a they'd done the doctor duplicate 
several times before so decided to go with Romana instead mm-hmm. which I think it works actually better for Romana yes. as a character um, yeah. I think it works really well uh, the fishing rod that mm-hmm. uh, Tom Baker was using was an actual antique fishing rod which he inadvertently tossed into the river during rehearsals and Terry Walsh had to dive in and rescue it <laughs> good man Terry <laughs> yeah poor old, poor old Terry um, Patrick, Michael Hayes' son, had another contribution other than rowing a boat. He also was the one who was making the bushes rustle <laughs> at the start, which is good. Hey, you're 14 years old. You're getting to be on the set of Doctor Who. Yeah. Fuck it. Whatever. Um, so the filming at Leeds Castle, because it was largely done at night because it was open to the public during the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a brilliant story by your man who played Farah. Um, that when they were doing the storming of the castle, all six of them, um, they they did the scene, and you know Michael Hayes kept them like, yeah, that was really good. Um, could you could you make it look like there's more of you than just the two of you and four extras? And the lads are like, how the fuck? Like there is only six of us. Like, <laughs> cool, we'll do it with. So they do the shot again. Yeah, that was great. That was great. But could you do it quieter? Because there was people staying in the castle. It's like, they're asleep. And we don't want to wake them up. <laughs> so they're like, okay. We'll try to be bigger and more of us. But quietly. So we don't wake anybody. <laughs> so they do the scene again. And they do it a couple of times. And apparently, uh, Michael Hayes had a bottle of whiskey. That mm. he sort of had off. Just because it was cold. Although apparently it was a lovely, apparently it was a lovely filming. Um, mm. As in during the day, well, you had a bottle, so people could like warm themselves up, whatever. <laughs> he came over and he dropped it, and so it, the bottle broke all over this entryway. Oh. And, so, <laughs> and they're trying to be this really big group of six, but doing it quietly, running through a hallway that's a stank of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> the way your man describes it, it sounds oh, so funny. That just. <laughs> um, but actually uh, Paul Lavers who, who plays Farrah he actually got an extra bonus in his pay oh. so uh, one of the you know assistants kept him being like oh you're going to get an extra bonus for voiceover work and he's like I didn't do any voiceover work what the fuck do you mean um, but actually the scene where um, Grendel throws the spear mm. at the fake at the android king um, Michael Hayes wasn't really sure how to set it up because mm. obviously you can't throw an actual fucking spear at your mano and like how to make it work properly and get the special effects so it was actually Paul who said well what you do is you do like a, a two thirds so you do two thirds and then you lock it and then you do the other one mm. um, and apparently that's what they used and, and that was great um, and so they were like oh no no that was for helping Michael with the the shot. Yeah. He also did a lot of the fencing training with Tom and the gentleman who played uh, Grendel. He said that Tom didn't want to do it <laughs> because um, uh, Terry Walsh, who would usually choreograph that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, he was busy on another project, so he couldn't be in rehearsals. Mm-hmm. Um, and Paul had done swords, like he he he'd done fencing. So he was helping choreograph and train the guys on how to do it. And Tom just kept like blowing him off. 
<laughs> which is a bit sad. Like it's a bit unfair. Mm. Um, um, I'm actually just like I thought that fence that fight was actually really good. I have thoughts on it. Okay, uh, we will get to those later. Um, last thing before we go on to our cast, we mentioned the boat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so boat in the dark, robot dog, fourteen-year-old boy staying hidden as he's rowing. <laughs> The sound recorders fell in the moat. <laughs> For fuck's sake. <sighs> if nothing else, this story sounded like a fucking hoot to work on. <laughs> it it did. It did. Uh, if nothing else. Actually, okay. before yeah. we go on to the cast, one thing I want to call it, I was like, uh, I thought, obviously with the exception of the one that she made for herself, I thought the costume design on this story was really, really good. Yeah, I thought it was really good as well. Um, yeah. It was really interesting. I know that, like, um, again, Paul Lavers, a lot of the documentary with Paul Lavers, um, who plays Farah, he wasn't a big fan of his hat. Hmm. Which is why, at the end of every sequence, he would take the hat off hmm. when they were on location. So when they got to studio filming, and they're like, okay, time to put your hands on. Oh, no, no, if you actually look at the at the location work, I took the hat off. Or vice versa, whichever one they did first. He's like, I actually took the hat off. So for continuity, I'm actually not meant to be wearing the hat. Because <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like the, the, the headgear for a lot of the characters, like it's like the the uniforms are very like late 1700, 1800s European military style mm. uniforms. But the headwear is kind of very Turkish or like um, like North African at times. So I thought it was just yeah. this really weird blend of aesthetics. Yeah, and like the way your man described it, he described that like it looked a bit like a, a German World War One hat. I don't I think that was a bit No, um, no, like it's much. I think I think um, it's more it, it's more like Turkish or Byzantine looking in origin. But um hmm. yeah, but oh no, I thought like the costumes were great, like. So on to our cast. So mm-hmm. as Zadok we have mm-hmm. Simon Lack. This is the second and final appearance for Simon. We previously saw him as Professor Kettering in The Mind of Evil, though we did not discuss him at the time. His on-who credits include Goodbye Mr. Chips, South Riding, Dixon of Doc Green, and Dr. Finley's Casebook. Simon passed away in 1980. As Farrah, we have the previously mentioned Paul Lavers. He's the only Doctor Who credit for Paul. His on-who credits include House of All Three, Johnny of the Dead, and this is a long title, Chantel, Psychic PD, Night Division. Long title name. Uh, Prince Reinhardt is played by Neville Jason. Only Doctor Who acting credit for Neville. His Don Who credits include Paul of Tarsus, Magret from Russia with Love, Dixon of Doc Green, and Sherlock Holmes. Neville passed away in 2015. As Count Brendel, we have Peter Jeffrey. This is the second and final appearance for Peter. We previously discussed him as he played the pilot in the Macra Terror. Mm-hmm. And lastly, as Madame Lamia, we have Lois Baxter. This is the only on-screen Doctor Who credit for Lois, though she has done some work with Big Finish as well. Her non-Who credits include Affairs of the Heart, The Bill, Dickens of London, and When the Boat Comes In. Thus endeth the trivia and random discussions of Mystic Knights of Tiernanog. Yep. Watch it, people. Watch it. So, thank you very much for the awesome trivia, as always. And as always, 
You're welcome. Uh, and as always, we're going to yeah, I shut up. <laughs> and as always, we'll now segue very naturally and casually into the character discussion. <laughs> Where this week we have the Doctor, the companions of Romana and Bestest Boy K9. We have the prominent characters of Zadok, Farah, and Reinhardt. Although, mm-hmm. do you think, would you put them as companions or would you put them as prominent characters? I wasn't sure. I think prominent characters probably makes more sense. Probably, yeah. And then we have the villains of Lamia and Grendel. Mm-hmm. So, as always, we'll start off with the Doctor. And so, Trish, tell us what your thoughts are on the Doctor. So, I actually really like the Doctor in this one, for the most part. Um, he does everything you would expect the fourth Doctor to do. Mm. Do you know? If you think to previous stories, you know, so um, Braid of Morbius, for example, this idea of, like, fuck it, I'm not doing it. I, no, no, I'm just going to gonna sit here. Or in the history, I'm not going fishing. Fuck them. <laughs> I'm, t- I'm taking a day off. Um, it is very fourth doctor and like not putting up with being someone else's puppet and whatever. Um, so that's very true to him. But also, like, he has his whimsical moments, he has his humor. We have him getting indignant over apparently little things like his scarf being burnt. Mm. Um, I do love the fact that he's like, if you keep burning my scarf, you will have to kill me because I can fucking beat your ass. Like, <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, he is dedicated to his companions. And again, we're really seeing over the last few stories his care for Romana mm. is like it's genuine. Even though he sort of plays it off that like, oh yeah, yeah, she was fucking forced to be here by the Time Lords or whatever. He does care about her, which is good to see. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I wouldn't say he has amazing chemistry with anyone, but it's not bad either. It's just normal. I would have loved to have more scenes with him and Reynard, though, because I thought they did have really good chemistry, but they only have like two scenes together. Mm. Um, so I would have been curious to see more of him with like with the real Reynard, because I thought they got along quite well together. And Zedek and Farah were fine. Like, he got on ground with them, but it wasn't anything amazing. The fencing scene with mm. Grendel. Yes. Okay. So, I think the latter half of the fencing scene was very good. Mm-hmm. The beginning of the fencing scene was fucking shit. <laughs> All right. It was just shot poorly. There was no music. We had all these random cutaways to the other characters reacting. And it was just, mm. it was very poor in my mind. Now, the yeah. later part, when they're actually on the move, that mm-hmm. was good. Like, down the corridors and stuff, that was very good. Right. But when they were in that room, mm. it was just very slow. And it just seemed really badly shot. Because it went on for ages. And there was no music. There was no build-up to anything. Mm. And I was just like, okay. Also, I was initially confused. Because the Doctor seems like very weird with, like the whole idea of fencing and like he knows how to use his, like he knows how to fence he knows how to use his, this guy used to be john pertwee he knows mm. how to do this and i chalked up to either one him trying to lull grendel into a false sense of security mm. or two tom's body doesn't remember how to fence and as he's doing it he's like okay cool, i know how to do this i prefer option one mm. but i think option two is also 
manageable. Do you know? Um, but I found it a little bit weird that he was sort of playing it up like he didn't know how to use a sword. And I'm like, mm, you do, though. <laughs> you do. Like, <laughs> we have seen it before. Um, one thing I find amazingly interesting, though, about the Doctor in this one, and Tom's performance in particular, is we discussed last week how Tom did not want to do the scene of the duplicate Doctor pushing Romana off a cliff. Mm-hmm. In this story, though, he apparently had no issue with the Doctor braining, quote-unquote, Romana in the head for mm. the cliffhanger. <laughs> Like, obviously, we all assume it's an android. Yeah. Right? But kids at the time may not have made the connection. Hence why it was a cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. The whole point of a cliffhanger is to leave you hanging until next week. So I find it interesting that he wouldn't do the duplicate bad doctor pushing the real Romana off a cliff. But he had no issue with the real doctor braining someone in the head fans having to wait a week (laughs) to find out it wasn't really Romana I think so the the last last week called for like the camera work to actually show him pushing her yeah whereas this is he strikes out of frame so maybe that ah, might... but like it's obviously yeah, oh, he was oh, head yeah. aiming Look, for her head. No, like... Like that, no, that's the only distinction I'm making between the two. Like, and that's yeah. probably the only distinction they were making between the two. Um, but yeah, it's still a bit. Eh. Yeah, because like, if we think back to Android Invasion, where he had a similar moment, mm. right, with um, the Android of Sarah Jane being revealed, he didn't even attack her. He grabbed her wrist. Mm. And then she threw herself on the ground and her face fell off. <laughs> Actually, do you know what it might be? Mm. Is that narratively, we know that that's the doctor. Whereas mm. in Stones of Blood, because we don't see the transition of the doctor moving from where he was to where Romana is, it's like. Has he been taken over? Is he evil? Whatever it is. Whereas, like, we know that this doctor is actually, oh no, he's the legitimate doctor. So he obviously has a purpose. But we don't know for certain that that isn't Romana. Yeah. That isn't a real person. Because he just steps forward with the um, scepter. Scepter. Mm -hmm. And just swings it down like an axe Mm -hmm. onto this person's head. And you're like, holy fucking shit. Like, again, I made the natural jump to, it's clearly an android. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you did as well. I'm sure most yeah. of what you did. But, like, young kids may not have made that leap. Mm. It's a bit fucking much. <laughs> but that's more of a Tom thing mm-hmm. than a doctor thing. And it, I only mention it because Tom was so adamant last week. Yeah. To not have the doctor being seen attacking Romana. Mm-hmm. That here we have the exact same actors in a reverse situation where Romana is the fake and he doesn't have an issue with it. Yeah. Just seemed a bit odd. Overall, though, like I said, this is fourth Doctor through and through. You know, a little bit of lightheartedness, bit of seriousness, lots of fun with K9. Very, very good. 
I just think that that bit was weird. And mm. I would have liked to have seen more of him with Reinhardt. Mm. How about you? Cool. Uh, so first and foremost, don't laugh at K9, you prick. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, bear in mind, you, you're you going to be the one that will have to repair him if he falls into the water. Um, so I agree with you. Uh, yeah, like Tom is like continuing this run of bringing the Doctor back from what made us fall in love with him in the early seasons. Hmm. Uh, like even the start of it kind of reminds me of like the Pyramids of Mars, you know, the whole, you know, I walk in eternity. I don't want to be hmm. beholden to all this type of um like i don't want to do the thing and but like throughout the whole story it is like pure fourth doctor like you know the funny faces the buffoonish antics um and also the genuine concern for the companions and i think that's definitely shown when at the very end when he's like where's romana and he's reinhardt says oh cursor went down to the dungeons Mm -hmm. and he realizes that they're in danger and the doctor called like you know just cries out no you know Mm -hmm. there's genuine concern there which is great I'm going to disagree with you on two things. Hmm. One, I thought he actually had great chemistry with Grendel. I thought their their back and forth was really. Oh, I was looking from a companion perspective. Oh, sorry, companion perspective. All right, fair enough. Um, Yeah, but no, no, you're right. No, go ahead. You're right. Yeah, Yeah, no, I know. I'd agree with you. So in that case, I do agree with you. Uh, Hmm. But his Tom and his name fucking escapes me. See, I always get him confused with another actor, um, John Neville. Do you mean Peter? Be- Peter? Yes, Jeffrey. Peter. Brendan. Yeah, Peter Jeffrey. Yeah. I always get him confused with another actor called John Neville, and that's because they're both in The Adventures of Baron von Munchausen. Mm. Um, but, uh, sorry, their chemistry was really good, and it actually kind of gave me vibes of Pertwee and Delgado at times. Mm. I um, Which then kind of leads to the sword fight. So I am firmly in the option one camp. It's the doctor playing up the fact he's going into the buffoonish persona that Grendel perceives. Mm. I personally really enjoyed the fight scene because the lack of music, I think it added a sense of intensity to it. And it also added a sense of realism in the sense of like we're so used to swashbuckling movies where it's like you know these big dramatic like back and forths and like upstairs downstairs like all this type of thing whereas i suppose in realistic standards a lot of fencing is that sort of like feeling the opponent out and gentle touches and back and forth yeah, you know? i have no issue with that i just think it went on a bit long oh yeah no oh don't don't get me wrong the fight scene <laughs> did go, the, the fight scene did go kind of long i was like kind of going like this is like what two Three, three minutes like, of like like we're not getting into the indulgence of like a John Pertwee fucking chase sequence but like it is going on a it's small, damn fucking close like yeah, it is getting into a small bit longer than we would have expected most doctors fight scenes to be and I actually have a question for you so he, he disarms Grendel mm. and then he kicks the blade back over to him and he turns his back but then when Grendel tries to stab him in the back he seems very angry and surprised so I'm wondering, like, were you trying to be a gracious winner and give him back his blade in defeat? Or were you being like Doc John, you know, in that sword fight in Sea mm. Devils? And it's like, are you showing off? I, I, and I don't know. I honestly, I can't tell which it is. It, it's, I always find that type of scene to be very weird. Mm. Um, because when you have someone who's threatening to kill you, Mm-hmm. And particularly someone like Grendel, who has yeah. shown that 
he does not play by the art of war. He does mm. not play by the rules of war. Um, hence, using the flag of truce to kill someone. Mm-hmm. Um, this whole idea of, you know, oh, we only fought for two minutes. Do you want, you know, pick up your sword again? Let's keep going. You know, whatever. Like fair man's shot and all this. Stuff. No, what the fuck are you doing? It never makes sense, and I never understand why people. I think he does it. Does he do it twice? Does he no. do it in the garden as well? No, just in the garden. Like he in the garden, he calls off the fight because he says, "Look, all your men are gone. You are outnumbered. Give mm. up." And Grendel yeah. throws down his blade. Oh yeah, the, um, the thing like so, like Grendel. But yeah, with the whole like tossing him his blade, like it always seems to me as a like, hey, so. We want to show that our hero is the hero and our hero can win. So he's going to disarm them. But we want this fight to go on longer. So they're going to give his sword back and we're going to move it to a different location. And it's like, why? Yeah. like Why? It's, like, yeah, it's either you disarm him and give him the blade back because you don't want to kill an unarmed person. Mm. Or you disarm him and you're, you've, you've lost. Like yeah. and it's it's the surprise it attempted to be stabbed in the back is like going that's what's throwing me. It's like were you showing off or did you legitimately give him back his blade and try to be like, Okay, he surely knows that I can beat him. But also but like this is this is about like why give him back his blade in the first place? Yeah. But like, but like, is like, it a sort of but like, is it like just a like Because he with John if he's going like if he's going for the whole I can't kill a man who's unarmed then you should be re-engaging immediately with the fight, which he didn't yeah. do. Or if tell you're going him. For, yeah, if you're going for you've lost, here's your blade back, you know, accept defeat. Then have the others come in and fucking arrest him. Don't, like, mm. don't give him back his blade when there's no one else moving in to support you. That yeah. makes no sense. <laughs> vocalize, vocalize. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, it, it, was a, it, was a, it was a strange one. But... For the choreography, I like I. That's why I was saying uh, mm. for P, uh, for Paul, I thought like the choreography was really good, you know. Mm. Except my thing of it was, I think I think the bit in the in the throne room or or the you know the the courtroom mm. or whatever, I just think it went on a bit too long. They needed mm. to move out into the castle proper sooner, I think, because it was going on for so long. They were cutting into all these stupid reaction shots from people. Mm-hmm. And I'm like the reaction shots are adding nothing. Like Gino, if, and it's like, yeah. it, okay, move on. Like, get them out of this room. Get them moving. Like the the advance retreat, advance retreat is obviously like I said, it, that is fencing. That is what fencing form is. But like, this is a swashbuckling story. Like, this is a a fairy tale. It's a fantasy. Mm. You're going to have to fight down the corridor to fucking get to it already. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Um, I think in the scope of a twenty-five minute episode, that sort of length does eat into the narrative. In a movie, that that would be, I'd say, I would say, that's an appropriate length for that type mm. of fight. But for a television episode, yeah, it does kind of eat into it a small bit. Mm. Um, it would have been either have the realistic fight in the courtroom and then have that be the end of the single combat, or as you mm. say, move straight off down the bat. Yeah. But overall, although I will admit that I did like the whole thing. Because uh, just because it gives you swashbuckling vibes and yeah, but um, and again, like I think we'll talk more about the dynamic between the two when we come to Grendel himself. But no, I thought like I liked Tom in this one again. Like it's we've got a nice consistent run, which is great. Mm. Okay. 
We now we have our companions of Romana and K9. So who do you want to go with first? I will go with Romana first, as mm-hmm. per usual. Um, at the start of the story, I was really looking forward to Romana taking charge. Mm. You know, we got Romana landing the TARDIS. We have Romana being like, okay, I'll be back in an hour. You mm. be fucking, like, she's taking off, doing it on her own, which is great. I was then quite surprised when not only did she not understand what a horse is or how a beast of burden mm. works. That was fucking stupid. Um, but it's essentially the damsel in distress for most of the story. Mm. Like, she has a daring escape at one point, which is really intelligent. She takes the tool, she pops the lock, she tries to get Reynard out. She has this cool plan. She manages to escape, only to be recaptured, like, five fucking minutes later mm. by going into a back room on her own. For mm. no reason. With no guard. And no one keeping watch. It's as if they only had her escape because they realised they had a plot hole where... How were our heroes meant to know where the real prince was? Mm. That the real prince was even still alive. Mm. And the only way to solve that plot hole is to have Romana come and tell them. But then they need Romana to still be captured so she can be fake married off. So they have to recapture her again almost immediately. Mm. In silence without her screaming for help once. Which, like, what? (laughs) It's ridiculous. Um... On the other side, though, I do like how we got to see more of Romana's heart, I think, here. Like, Romana, like, in the first story of the season was quite Hearts. cold. Hearts, yeah. Uh, Romana in the first story of the season was quite cold. She kind of had the Ice Queen persona mm. and whatever. Um, but here we see that not only does she clearly care for Reynard, she takes good care of him, you know, advocates for him, you know, wants to do right by him. But, like, she's willing to go through with the fake wedding in order to keep the princess safe. And I don't think the Romana we met in the first story would have necessarily done that. Or at least not as quickly and without reservation as the Romana here did. There was something about the shots of the two of them, of Romana and Reynard, when they're in the wedding clothes. Mm. And they're having the ceremony and... You know, they're being asked the question and they both look at each other and it's just this look of, we have to. Mm-hmm. Like, they both know what's at stake and they both accept it because they don't want anything to happen to Strella. Mm-hmm. Which, Romana's even fucking met her. <laughs> you know, she's never met this woman. And, you know, Romana has previously been the sort of more hoity-toity time lord, you know, mm. whatever. So to see her caring for these people and offering up herself to protect others mm. is great to see. And I loved that bit of it. I just wish there was less damsel in distress built around it. Um, what I will say, though, is Mary Tam is fucking phenomenal in this. Mm. Mm. Um, there's a clear difference between Strella and Romana. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between Android Strella and real Strella. There's obviously a very clear difference between Android Romana and real Romana because mm-hmm. Android Romana is literally just yeah, it's just <laughs> it's literally stuck with my cover. Is literally just a blank mm-hmm. slate that doesn't emote or even speak. Um, 
But I think Mary Tam did a great job at making those characters distinct. And I love the sequence at the end. Now, it's, again, fight choreography was a bit shit, in my opinion. Oh, that was for terrible. For her attacking your man with the painting and the other Romana hitting him in the head with the pot. And he's just there being like, huh? Huh? I'm like, but he, he, he acts, shit. He acts days from getting hit over the head with a fucking cloth tapestry. Like the guy's just got a glass skull. Yeah, it, that that was badly, yeah, badly done. Um, but I love at the end, Romana learning how to embroider. So embroider, and actually, we're not going to talk about Strella, but I do want to mention something since we're discussing Romana. Did Strella give you Penelope vibes? And by Penelope, I mean like Penelope and Odysseus vibes. Yeah, I see where you're going. I see where you're going, and yeah, there there is an element of the tact tactful, mm. or yeah, tactful wife, you know, the, or the tactile kind of prisoner type thing going. Yeah, yeah, and just because we constantly see her working on this tapestry, it just reminds me of Penelope saying like, "Oh, I can't marry you until I finish until I finish the uh, the, 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 the shroud mm. and spending ten years making mm. unmaking the shroud." I don't know if that was intentional. Knowing David Fisher, maybe it was. David Fisher, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Like there could have been. A but sense literally, of... as soon as I saw her on screen, I was like, "Oh, she's." I was like, "This, this clearly has to be a callback to Penelope and Odysseus. Mm. It has to be." Um, but yeah, so I like Romana in general. Mm-hmm. I think this story was a weak one for her overall, but it had a really good start and mm-hmm. a really good end. But mm-hmm. the middle two and a half episodes the first 15 minutes and the last 15 minutes i thought were mm. good the middle yeah. two and a half yeah wasn't a big fan of for romana particularly i you? would i would make a statement that it's not a bad performance but i think it's the weakest no. of what we've seen so far i think that's a, a performance wise or story wise she says not a bad s- performance s- s- no st- sorry story wise story wise yeah. uh performance wise I fucking I love Mary in this one. I think she's great. Mm-hmm. Um, your uh, before I get into my notes, your point about her warming up is mm-hmm. very reminiscent of the first Doctor and how his character changed from being the cantankerous old man to someone mm-hmm. that would be very ca- caring. It's like it's almost like he's the Doctor is taking those lessons and he's applying it to Romana as a kind of like this is what I learned and this is what you can also. Mm. Like, uh, it's like he's trying to show her like the time lords are. We don't have to be this way, you know, type thing. Mm. So I, th- I thought it was kind of a cool paying it forward type thing. The way when you mentioned it there, um. So yes, I would agree that this is, this is the first time that she's properly the damsel in distress, mm. because I think the only other time that it might be would have been um. Like she gets kid, you know, she gets captured in the pirate planet, but she's just so fucking kind of fucking blasé. Yeah, blasé about the whole fucking thing, you know. And then obviously in Stones of Blood, she's like, "What the fuck's going on? Where are you taking me? Why the fuck? Where am I going? Why am I in this big futuristic ship?" There's a lot of confusion there. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, it's like, yeah, no, like she's pretty much fucking captured from the off, and she is the revolving door of fucking escape, recapture, escape, recapture. Um. But what I love about it is that she, she's calm, cool, and collected pretty much the whole way through. Oh, yeah. Like, 
I think the only there's time no for... fucking reign of terror lost the will to live fucking shit. No, it does not. I think <laughs> I think the only time that she exhibits any sort of the screaming heroine type thing mm. is when Lamy approaches her with the needle. That's like she's strapped down on a table like fucking anyone could. And they were about to chop her head off. Yeah, absolutely. But then, like, even before that, there's the, uh, or sorry, after that, there's the whole thing with the needle. And it's like, anyone would fucking panic at that. Like, Jesus Christ. Um, but I 100% agree with you that her moments with, Ryan, with Reinhardt are great. It's, mm. we talked before about back, you know, in Ribus Operation about how these emotional character moments help build character. Mm. And here, even though like Roman is the one giving the emotional comfort. We're actually seeing character development from Reinhardt as well. Mm. Um, so I thought that was great. I love her escape attempt. Everything that is good about Romana in this pales, pales in significance to her trying to find the ignition for a fucking horse. <laughs> like, she's not fucking stupid. Like. She's not. She's not stupid. Mm. Like, I'm sure on Gallifrey they have animals for fuck's sake. <laughs> like, like, or even like, you know, when traveling with the doctor, like, surely they do, like, you know, in downtime between traveling to the different locations. Like, like she knows that K9 is a robot dog. Yeah. Therefore, she should know what a real dog is. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I just like. It's so dumb. Yeah. So dumb. It, it's like, <laughs> it's so fucking stupid. It's really, but it, it, it's, oh, no, like, it's, it, like, it's. That is the reverse of the big metal beasties. It's the mm. big metal beasties in reverse. <laughs> but like, Jamie at least had an excuse. Like, oh, like. <laughs> you know, like what's coming to my head now is like it's just because like trying to find the ignition for a fucking um horse uh, you haven't seen it i don't think but there's a movie called top secret i think it's one of val kilmer's first movies it's like this weird homage to like your world war Two espionage movies but there's a scene where like they're running away from like the east german military and like um the person he's with goes like we have to get rid of those bikes and he just goes over to the bikes and he goes yeah yeah and the bikes neigh and they just fucking roll off down the road <laughs> and it just it's it, it just like a reverse of that but um, what it actually reminded me of to be honest is star trek the voyage home is it the voyage home the one with the whales yeah that's voyage home yeah where you have Scotty sitting up to the computer oh. and picking up the mouse. <laughs> computer. <laughs> and the big smile on his head as he fucking does it as well. Yeah, oh. that. God love James Duan. But, but yeah, I think, but, I think like this is like her. Yeah, like story wise, it is the weakest that we have seen so far. It's not bad. I, like It's important no. to make that distinction, I think. It's not bad, yeah. but it is the weakest. But Mary's performance here is great. I I think performance wise, and this is where like the 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 rambling is going to be very difficult. I think <laughs> is I would say performance wise, it's probably up there with the Rybos operation. Yeah, is that emotional connection with Reinhardt really? Yeah, it, over it, the it, edge? It really it, is that last? It's the wedding procession. Mm-hmm. That bit in particular. Like Mary playing multiple characters is great, mm-hmm. but I think it's that 
wedding sequence in particular. Yeah. You just feel it like, mm-hmm. do you know, because it's like if that was the doctor, he'd be kind of playing it off for laughs and whatever. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't. No, no. Like she she accepts the seriousness of the situation, yeah. which is good. So, the bestest boy. Bestest boy is bestest. Um, mm-hmm. Not as much engagement with our story-based characters this week as we've had in previous weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, though I do love the fact that like <laughs> both Fire and Zedek are like, what the fuck is that? And also, the, okay. they're terrified of him by the end of it. Because <laughs> yeah. like, when, when Fire goes to draw like you know, draw his sword to the doctor, like, K-9's like, don't draw it. And he's like, I, I've learned my lesson. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the interactions with the doctor and Romana are great. I love, like... I actually love the opening sequence for this one. The chess um, game. The chess game. I think it's really good because A, you have like the doctor has his scarf over K9 as mm-hmm. well, which is just super adorable. Um, You know, it's the three of them as a unit, you know, yeah. having banter and mm-hmm. K9 is part of the banter, which I, I always love when K9 is part of the banter. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you know that he's like, you know, as I recall, such and such lost that match. Yeah, you know, it was, I must have I must have stepped out. It's like mate and twelve, mate and eleven. Actually, mm-hmm. <laughs> what do we mate and eleven? What the fuck are you uh, it's actually, I think that's a distinction as well because we were talking before about how K nine Mark one and K nine Mark two are very different. Mm. If you kind of go, if you kind of cast your mind back, a lot of the scenes of the trio in the TARDIS, it was it was always kind of like Leela and K nine or yeah. the Doctor and K nine. It was never the three of them really together. Whereas here, it does seem more like a trio rather than mm. I go mm. with whoever type thing. Yeah, I, I will still say though that like K nine Mark two is the Doctor's dog, mm-hmm. and I, I do still think that K nine K nine Mark one was Leela's. Yeah, very much so. Um, but yeah, I think K nine has lovely interactions here with the Doctor and Romana. Um, I love the, the fact that. He, I love the bit where like he's like, you know, can't you go faster? You told me to be quiet. Mm. I either do fast and loud, or slow and quiet. Mm-hmm. Pick one. It's like, like when you hire someone to do a job. It's going like, to done quickly, cheaply, and in good quality. It's like, well, you can have two of those things. <laughs> Pick any two you want. <laughs> you only get two. Like, also, I don't know why my mind went there, but like, I can either do fast and loud or slow and quiet. It's like. Or is a canine describing his sexual references or something? Maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the one thing I found a little bit strange was the fact that canine couldn't find Romana. Yeah. That that was weird. Like last week, he was good at tracking her, and you could argue that like oh, but last week he knew where she was starting from. Like mm-hmm. this week. He knew where she was starting from too. Start at the TARDIS and go from there. Well, <laughs> may, may, well, like maybe it might be like a distance thing. I don't know. Like, well, that's... yeah, but as in like start at the TARDIS where you knew she was, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then track her from there. <laughs> yeah. Because you know, last time he was like, you know, he was saying that he didn't want to be a bloodhound, but he was mm-hmm. saying that he had her scent and he knows that yeah. that's what he he was following her tracks or whatever. Um, but yeah, no, K nine is best point. One thing as well, like I just thought it was funny, was when the Doctor and him escape from the pavilion and Romana rides up on the horse, like great mm-hmm. sequence. 
And the doctor just goes, it's every man for himself, K-9. <laughs> and he hops on the horse while K-9 just stays behind and in a very Dynasty Warriors-esque way, just casually fucking mows down all the pursuing guards. <laughs> he's just like, it's like he set his like nose blaster onto just wide beam and they just fucking swiped it and everyone went also, down. Also, he's like, it's every man for himself. Yeah. It wasn't, it's every man for himself. It's like, she has a horse. I can get on that. I can't take you with me, so fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that was funny. Um, it was fucking very funny. But um, I would say that there's probably not as much character. Like there, it, There isn't as much of K-9 as we've seen in the, the preceding two stories. No, and definitely in comparison to last week. Like, last mm. week was a big K-9-centric story, yeah. Story, and this week isn't. And... That's fine. Like K nine mm. is, in many ways, a tertiary character. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and if you have him around too much, you don't really have a story because you can just solve it in five seconds. Yeah, that's um, true. The one thing I was expecting—I don't know if you mm-hmm. watched this—uh, Robot Reinhardt has a power supply issue. Mm. I was kind of expecting him to hook him up to K nine. Yeah. Charge up his power cells. I'm like, was I the only one with that idea? Mm. <clears throat> when the doctor's talking to K9 about like oh how long would he have if I connected this to this and K9's like oh but three hours I was like cool and if you charged his cells how long would he have maybe they weren't compatible who knows surprised I didn't mention it though mm. yeah no, that was a case of like he needs power like you're fully powered why don't we just hook him up to you <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah that's not yeah. K9's job though no it's not so now we have the prominent characters who K9 mm. had no interactions with and no chemistry with whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> Limited interaction and no chemistry. Yes. Um, so we've Zadok, Farah, and Reinhardt. Mm-hmm. Should I do them in that order? Might as well? Yeah, yeah. I think, um, Zadok, Farah, and Reinhardt, yeah. I was waiting for Zadok to be killed. He does have that vibe about him. He fits the bill of like the dedicated head of the guard, and it mm. wouldn't have surprised me if they killed him off to evoke an emotional reaction from Reinhardt. Mm. Do you know? Like the opposite of what we saw in Rybos and in Pirate Planet. Do you know? Mm-hmm. Where we had the bad guy reacting to his to his right hand. Um I was sort of waiting for him, like he, he was sort of like the Barrison Selmy. <laughs> for them to kill him off to evoke yeah. an emotional reaction um, because here all the good guys live which is a rarity good, yeah but it's rare mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean um, overall though I think he's a good character he's clearly like you know the stable right hand keeps everyone on course you know keeps the hothead from going over the top the hothead being Farah. And he's very dedicated to Reinhardt. And even his interactions with the doctor, like when Reinhardt takes the doctor into his confidence, you know, Zadok is like, I will do exactly what I've been told to do. I still don't fully trust you, though. That's going to take time. And so it takes mm. until, like, you know, end of episode two, start of episode three for that to come through, which, again, is real. It's a real way mm. to respond to someone, which I liked. Um, so overall, I thought he was a good character. There was one thing, though, when I was like, oh, Zadok. Like, that's no way to talk about your lord, your prince, or your king, whatever. Was when he was saying that the android prince sounded more intelligent than the real one. <laughs> Which, A, not 
true. The real mm. one was very well presented. Yeah. But I was like, Jesus, Zadok, <laughs> tell them what you really think. <laughs> uh, I love the principle of my heart, but he is fucking stupid. <laughs> he is thick as a brick. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so overall, I thought he was a nice character. I thought he you know, worked well in his role. And I was just waiting for him to be killed off. I'm not surprised when he wasn't. So I, uh, watching this, I was reminded of another kind of duo um, when taking him in line with Farah mm. as well. Uh, both people of military training, both people that deal with swords. One, you know... You can possibly see where I'm going with this. Um, he reminds me of an older Obi-Wan Kenobi, circa mm. episode two, episode three, you know? Uh, still a bit brash, but clearly has learned from his experiences as a sword master to be able to be the straightforward person that he is, you know? Mm. Um, and I think the doctor senses that straightforwardness in him. Obviously, he sees it from you. He's like, I'm not quite sure I quite trust you yet. But he also senses it in his... He's inherently a good person. Because mm-hmm. when Grendel tries to cast suspicion on him by saying, well, you know, oh, if anything goes wrong, he'll kill you. Like, the Doctor doesn't really re- believe Grendel. Mm. Like, so... Yeah, it's like... No, I also agree that it was the bit harsh kind of saying like he does sound a bit more intelligent than the real prince. So, like, fucking hell. Like... <laughs> um... But no, I, I like I liked him. Like the thing about the supporting cast is like they're they're all right. I wouldn't mm. say they're on par with some of the other ones that we've seen. No. You know? uh, uh, so, I would agree with you there. Yeah, so, some of I our think, favorites, like but. I think the principal supporting cast and we'll get to them in a minute, of Reinhardt and Grendel. Grendel, mm-hmm. I think do are really good. Mm-hmm. The other three they're they're fine, like there's nothing wrong with them, but mm-hmm. They don't have the same chemistry that we've no. seen in previous stories. So we've got Farah. Mm-hmm. Is it bad that I was waiting for Farah to reveal to reveal himself as a turncoat? No, I was kind of expecting something along that line as well. Like we and never that, did find out how that wine was spiked. <laughs> and also, there's some there's some aesthetics that are like there's some plot points in the story that they kind of lead you to believe that he will turn. But then those plot points mm. are never resolved or they're never brought up again. So it's just like... Yeah, the heavy. spiked wine is one. I think having the android prince follow behind him mm. in the cave is weird. Like, surely you should take up the final position. Mm-hmm. You know? As opposed to just repeatedly allowing him to walk into a fucking brick. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, I think the reason why I came across is that like Farah is very dedicated. Mm-hmm. But perhaps overly so. Yes. Which makes him suspicious. He is so mm. quick to anger. He's so quick mm-hmm. to react that you sort of get the sense that like he's overcompensating mm-hmm. to throw off suspicion. So again, I was waiting for the reveal at the end that like Farad was like, you know, giving information to Grendel. It never came, and I was kind of like, mm, okay, maybe in a four-parter, that type of reveal wasn't needed. Mm. You know, maybe in a sixth he would have been, yeah. You know, the, the turncoat or whatever. Um, but like literally, like from almost the first interaction, I was like, "This guy's shady as fuck." Oh, hugely, <laughs> hugely. But like, I think that kind of keeps in with the aesthetic I have in my head of like, you know, Anakin from like episode two, episode three, because he he is very quick to anger. He is mm. very 
like let's do this and let's like he's all action orientated uh like i know he does mellow out by the end and i get the impression that zadik took him aside and went like dude chill the fuck out <laughs> <laughs> but to your point about him like being shady and like he also kind of like you know he expressing his admiration for grendel it mm-hmm. is kind of like you know the Anakin Senator Palpatine or Chancellor Palpatine type relationship, you know, where it's like the Chancellor is a great man. Fuck it, you know, no, he's a complete cunt. Oh, shit, I said it. <laughs> shit, I said it. I, f- I finally said it. I finally said the like a hundred and one episodes in the word. <laughs> Have we not said that word before? No, no, I've made a conscious effort not to say that word. <laughs> okay. In fairness, people's reaction to that word differs per country. Yeah, so. absolutely. <laughs> For those of you that are friends, I'm very sorry. Um, but yeah, so it does. Yeah, it does remind me of that relationship. Um, mm-hmm. But also, him getting scolded by K9 is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and then so, we have Reynard. Mm-hmm. I actually really liked Reynard. Mm. Um, we don't really get a good feel for him as a leader per se, because he kind of comes across like he's a leader in hiding, mm. who needs to wait for the right moment to reveal himself, because he'll be killed otherwise. Um, so I can't really speak to that, but he seemed like a good man, mm. which is the important part. Mm-hmm. Like Romana had a chance to escape. Mm-hmm. And she's trying to free him too. And he's just like, no, don't. And not only did he say, no, don't. He stayed chained up. Mm-hmm. He didn't even let her unchain him. Mm-hmm. Like he, he could have been lying in there with no chain on, but he kept the chain around his neck while she escaped. Um, the way he is with the doctor, do you know, that he's like, oh, you know about androids? Great. Um, you know, if you fix the android, then you're free to go. If you can't fix it, then that's fine too. Yeah. No harm, no foul, no issue. Like he's very true to his word. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really happy that we didn't have any scenes of him flirting with Romana, like when yeah. they first met, because when they first meet, we don't really get an indication of what exactly the relationship is between him and Strada. Mm-hmm. it can kind of be assumed but we don't really get told though obviously when Grendel later threatens Strada we can see that he's very much mm-hmm. he very much cares for her and obviously at the end they kiss and we can see that they were mm-hmm. you know, whatever Um, but like so even though his relationship with the princess is in my opinion underdeveloped like no one mentions the fact that he cares greatly for her at mm-hmm. any point in time mm-hmm. um it's good to see that he is still dedicated to her. And it's to her, not not her looks, because Romana looks exactly the fucking same. Yeah, it's the person. It's the person. Mm-hmm. And again, there is something... Like, there's certain scenes in Doctor Who that don't have any dialogue. They may not even have music. Just the way they're performed and filmed hit just right mm-hmm. you know I'm, I'm thinking back to harry with the fucking pitchfork mm-hmm. right which i think did have music but like there's some scenes in doctor who that just get you either they get the fear or they get the laughter or they get whatever. again 
Romana and Reynard walking to their doom, essentially, because mm. they know what's coming next. To save someone that, let's face it, wasn't going to live much longer anyway. Like, Gellert, or Gellert, he's not Grindelwald. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Grendel wasn't going to keep her alive forever, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Her life was on a very short timeline anyway. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they would do it to prolong her life and to forego her any pain even a little bit. And again, Mm -hmm. it's the looks on their faces and the way the two of them are together, Mm -hmm. I think is brilliant. I thought that was fantastically acted. I thought it was subtle in setup. I thought it worked really, really well. And he's the type of character, like, I would love if we went back to Tara at some point Mm. and met up with the two of them. As Mm. in, Reinhardt and Strella. Yeah. Um, because I think he's a really interesting character. He's really charismatic. Do you know? He. I'm trying to think who he reminds me of. <laughs> and so, but I can sort of imagine him being like, if we were to like remake the story today, he'd be like Antonio Banderas or something. Mm. <laughs> Do you yeah. know? Um, but he's very charismatic and you can. You just sort of trust him. Yeah. Which is nice. Do you know when you compare him to Grendel, mm. <laughs> or um, just actually because I watched a bit of it again over the weekend, uh, Tino Schwerta, the guy that plays Namor in mm. uh, Wakanda Forever, like yep. he is incredibly charismatic. Like, no, granted, evil charismatic, but mm. you know you have to have some basis of charisma to be able to pull that off. Yeah, um, like I'm going to give a slight spoiler into some of my overall thoughts, and actually into my thoughts on Grendel in a second, but like. You can see, um, I need to scroll up again. Fuck, I keep forgetting them. But you can see Neville Jason playing Robin Hood. Mm. Oh, yeah. Do you know, he has he, that he, look and that feel and that presence to him. He is very, very er- so. he is very Errol Flynn. Very yes. Errol Flynn. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so those are my thoughts. Right. I don't think there's anything else to add. <laughs> so he is. He is a very interesting character, and mm. the performance by Neville is adds to this whole thing because he's not a huge impact player in the story. No, he's he's really not. He is a plot point. Yeah, by his very being. But That's we get to know his sense of character by everything that happens around him, or everything mm. that happens. So, like, he seems to me like the. Like we've seen a lot of like young ruler type characters mm. in this store in the series so far, and I think he's probably one of the better ones because, like you talked about, like we've never seen him in a leadership role, but you like he inspires great loyalty from mm. Zadok and his followers. He also, I think, get inspires loyalty in his people because of the fact that Kirster has to plant men in the crowd around the castle to start a chant for Grendel. In the mm. event that Reinhardt doesn't show, clearly the people want to see him take mm. the throne. Clearly, all the assembled nobles want to see him, or see want to see him take the throne. You know, mm. um, and like the Archimandrite, I, mm. I think there's a small bit of direction that's kind of askew there at points because, like, you know, he kind of intones like at one point that you know, oh, he will give you the throne if he doesn't t- take it. It was a bit enthusiastically, but then the next time he mentions it, it's a bit more reserved. And yeah, I think with the Archimandrite, it was more a case of I sort of get the feeling that like Reinhardt hasn't been seen, yeah, in a while for a long time, 
Mm-hmm. I think the Archimandrite right was like, if he, if he doesn't turn up, the, like I have a duty and like it's very rude. But I think he was slightly taken aback, and we're getting off topic a little bit, by Grendel taking so much preemptive yeah. action mm. that he kind of brought himself back into reserve a second and was like, yeah. okay. Um, but back to Reinhardt. I think I think stuff like that actually indicates that he will be a good ruler. Mm. Um, so you get a sense of that about him. Uh, also, like the noble defiance he has the entire time he's kept a prisoner, and as you said, like you know, other people might have said, "Oh, like when Roman escaped, oh, take me with you," type thing. He's like, "No, you have a better chance of getting out to get to Zadok, who will be able to." get men to rescue me like mm. so don't let me slow you down and like that in mind you know you kind of said like what's like why are they going through with the charade when they know that strella will be killed soon anyway it's like for every minute that she's strella is kept alive zadok and reinhardt's loyalists mm. will have more time to try and rescue her to like try to oust grendel so like it's the you know it is a far far better thing that i do now type thing you know mm. um so like that's for the character. In terms of the performance by the actor, fucking hats off to him because I loved him as the android. You know, was mm. walking repeatedly into the fucking wall, or like the slouching down, or playing the you know the powering down android. Like, mm. act you know, an excellent acting performance from mm. him in this story. Like up there with Mary, you know. Yeah, I agree definitely. And I definitely would like to see a return to Tara, which, like. Because it does need a bit of a sequel with the Reinhardt and Grendel still being at large. You know, there mm. there needs to be something, you know. Yeah. We need, like, a return to Tara. Yeah. Um, sorry. Absolutely. So now we have the villains. The villains. Mm. So we have Lamia, Lamia, whatever you pronounce your name. Lamia. And Grendel. So we'll do Lamia first. Mm-hmm. You almost feel bad for her at the same time you don't. Mm. she is a thundering bitch oh yeah clearly out for her own gains in many ways but she's so delusional in her relationship with Grendel Mm. you keep hoping because he treats her like shit Mm -hmm. you keep hoping that she'll turn against him at the end Mm. and she doesn't she has clearly chosen her side Mm. Do you know, you kind of think that, like, when she gets to meet with the doctor in private, that she'll turn sides. But she doesn't. Mm-hmm. And like so you kind of feel bad for her because he treats her like shit. But at the same time, you're like, you you picked your poison. Do you know? And you could say, like, oh, she did it for love or whatever. Mm, th- there's a limit to that, like, do you know? When the man is clearly flirting with other women in front of you and treats you like shit, major red flags. Mm. Like, massive. <laughs> um, and the fact that she stays with him when she's given outs, do you know? Mm. She's given several times where she could turn turncoat against him and she doesn't. So I'm like, I kind of feel bad for you. And the way you died was horrific. But like, meh. Yeah, like there is there is a limit to how far the sympathy goes for a character like Lamia. Um, yeah. 
But I'll tell you one thing, Grendel is very lucky that she died. Because I feel that she would be the classic scorned woman. Like, that would fuck up his entire plan unless she was appeased. Yeah, I mean, getting to the end of the story, had she still been alive, we may have seen that turn. Yeah. Like in would this, be a in, turn in her own defense, not yeah. a turn to support Reinhardt. Like, it, it, the sort of thing of, like, you know, well, um, unless you swear to marry me after Strella is killed and you've taken the throne, I'll tell everyone what you're doing type thing, you know? Yeah. Like, really... She kind of reminds me a little bit of mm, what's her name from the Romans? Papaya. Papaya. Mm. A little yeah. bit. That's who I was thinking of. Like she, uh, and especially the Covadis version of that character. Mm. But also, like her hairstyle is fucking sinister as hell, and she reminds you of uh, Frau Blucher from Young Frankenstein, just like that. <laughs> you know, fucking top knot, the weird tight hair, fucking. Um, yeah, like it's like when you say like you kind of like, and as well like how she dies, it's like, there is that moment and momentary sense of sadness, like when they're killed in a crossfire type shit. Mm. But then you realize like, oh, but this is still a villain. Like it wasn't even a redeemable villain. So no, she was a bitch. Yeah, but I suppose her lost love now is the next person that we speak about. Okay, hmm. I need to ask you a question. Okay. Am I the only person who thinks that Roger Reese was channeling this version of Grendel when he played the Sheriff of Rottingham <laughs> in Men in Tights? Because their mannerisms, their tone of the voice is almost identical. Seriously, if yeah. you watch this story, close your eyes, <laughs> you think you're listening to Men in Tights. They sound I... exactly the fucking same. I disliked you before, Doctor, but now I'm really pissed off. <laughs> but like... The way they speak, the tone of their voice is mm. exactly the yeah. same. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's sort of where my, like, I haven't seen the Prince of Center or whatever. I haven't seen this. I haven't read it or whatever. Yeah. All I see when I watch this is fucking Robin Hood. Do you oh. know? And Grendel is the perfect sort of, depending on what adaptation you're watching, the perfect Prince John or the perfect Sheriff of Nottingham model character. Mm. Do you know? The way he behaves, the way he treats everyone, the way he, like, the fact that he holds all the pieces and he knows it. Mm. And he's such a massive egotist. <laughs> like, he could have <laughs> killed off everybody mm. as soon as he captured them. Mm. No one could take the throne. He'd be put into power. Straight away, no questions asked. But no, instead he wants to fucking torment them by keeping them in cells that are side by side and they don't fucking know it. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, he wants to seem legitimate. Like, oh yes, well the people chose me and I married in and blah, blah, blah. Even though, even the Archimandroid clearly mm. tells these bullshit. <laughs> oh yeah. Like, the the king is here and Prince Estrella is here here hmm. and they're going to get married here and then he's going to die <laughs> and you're going to marry her hmm. and you say he's going to die soon <laughs> like today yeah also like you, you you said you're going to marry her has she said that she's going to marry you 
Um, yeah, so like I think he's very much like I said, depending on what adaptation you're watching, hmm. he's very much the Sheriff of Nottingham or the Prince John character in a Robin Hood. Stylistically, because you can't, I can't get away though. He does come across like Roger Reeves, Sheriff of Rottingham, in terms of his <laughs> character. He's more like Guy of Gisborne from the Earl Flynn Robin Hood, because mm. um, I, I, I keep they they change every so often, like in the Robin Hood narrative. Who is the bigger villain? Is it Guy of Gisborne or is it the Sheriff of Nottingham? Because mm. like sometimes it's like, like for example, Prince of Thieves. Sheriff of Nottingham is the big bad. Guy Gisborne is like his incompetent cousin. Mm. Um, Earl Flynn Robin Hood. Sheriff Nottingham is the bumbling oaf. Guy Gisborne is the serious threat. Um, Men in tights. Prince John is actually the big bad. Yeah. And Sheriff is the bumbling idiot. And Guy Gisborne isn't I, in it. I, yeah, no, he's not in it. Not in it. Mm. I use so much of that movie. Like I, like <laughs> Every time I go into a meeting, I say, greetings to all in one and one and all. That's a bit redundant, I know, but <laughs> I have to watch that again soon. That's oh, a spoiler film. Wait, wait, wait a minute, let me see the script. I get another shot. Yes, he does. He does. He does. I heard that coming a mile away. Well done, Flickin. Pardon? Who's talking? All right, but anyway. I can't swim. I'm on the East Bank. I'm on the West Bank. What are you doing up there? I'm guessing. I guess <laughs> no one's coming. Oh, all right. Oh. Anyway, my thoughts on Grendel before we <laughs> fucking change this to the Mel Brooks Appreciation Podcast. Uh, <laughs> yes, Grendel very much reminds me of, now that you said it, Roger Rees is Sheriff of Rottingham. <laughs> and also Basil Rathbone's Guy Gisborne from the... Errol Finn Robin Hood which is a fantastic film it's so so good um, uh, but absolutely no resemblance to the Peter Ustinoff Prince John or the Wolf Sheriff of Nottingham from the Disney classic uh, but anyway he's a complete scumbag but he's so charismatic while being one like it's like there is this immense like like you're watching and kind of going I I hate you but please be a recurring villain be you know, like, please, let me let me see you get fucked over continually, but at least pose a bit of a threat because I, I really like that. Um, he's a great foil for the doctor. Like, and the, as I said, the chemistry between himself and Tom is so reminiscent of Pertwee and Delgado, you know, mm. and like in and specifically wrapped up in one story, like you know, um, it's really really good, and like. It's a shame that we never got a like we never got a return to Tara during Tom's run because it would have been mm. great to see Tom and Grendel go at it again, you know. Um, yeah, one of my favorite villains I've seen in a while. Yeah, I mean, it reminds of another bit from the, the special features. Um, they were talking about Peter's performance as Grendel, mm-hmm. and apparently Peter and Neville were talking, and they were talking about like playing the bad guy, mm-hmm. and. One thing you may notice about Grendel is that he tends to do, like, the bad guy, like, head shake. Yeah. Whenever he says something at the end of a sentence, he sort of, like, you know, moves his head from side to side. And apparently that was an intentional thing. That's what bad guys do. (laughs) That's why Peter did it. (laughs) 
But now because you mentioned Roger Reeves, I'm just remembering him like da- dapping his hair every so often, you know. <laughs> oh. um, but yeah, no, I agree with you. I think Grendel is a character that I understand why David Fisher left it open for him mm. to come back. Because I think a return to Tara story would have been really good. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, kind of in a sort of Paladin sequel story or whatever. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think good villains. Well mm. done. Yeah. Actually, now that you mention it, because like, you wouldn't, we talk about the trivia, the fantastical element mm. of all the beasts and stuff like that. This could have been very easy, like, you know, a Doctor Who version of Narnia. Because, like, Reinhardt yeah. could be like Prince Caspian, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, very much so. Come on, Russell. Bigger budget. Do it. (laughs) (laughs) And so we're back. And yes, we did spend at least five minutes doing Robin Hood Men and Tights in the interim. It's that's the joys of being in the vortex. You don't know what happens between the transitions. Um so we've reached the end of this destination on this particular episode, which is the overall section, which uh, every uh, story, myself and Trish, each give a story the ranking out of five. So Trish, as you did the socials this week, you get to go first. Yeah, I, I now just have the songs from Men and Tide stuck in my head. Particularly like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm almost half tempted while they were doing the edit to like, do you know the, the interstitial music that we have yeah. between our segments? <laughs> I'm always tempted to change it out for like for the, the rap the group chorus, the chorus of rappers. <laughs> I said hey 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 naughty naughty hey naughty naughty <laughs> oh, okay okay back to this one um, mm. Androids of Tara mm. I think people have probably gathered for me because mm. I hadn't seen the story that originally inspired it is mm. the most Robin Hood story we have seen in Doctor Who mm. um in a very like ever to this point um i know there i know in the future there's a story there's mention i haven't seen that story so whatever um it was really fun in its own right but i don't think it's as strong as the other stories we had this season Mm. um i think we had great performances from our main cast tom mary fantastic performances Neville Jason and Peter Jeffrey, both fucking fantastic. The others were, they were all right. They were quite forgettable. Mm. They did their job. Again, they weren't bad by any stretch. They were just grand. The fight scenes, like I said, I have a love-hate relationship with them. Mm. I think I liked the bit in the corridor. I liked the bit outside. I didn't like the starting bit. And I thought the... (laughs) The Romana Strella versus your man was just mm. that was so bad. Like that needed to be shot again. I don't know if it's because they had to do the lock screen to have two of Mary in the same room. That was just like Michael didn't know how best to direct it, but it was just kind of badly acted as well. It was. You know? It was. It was, just, it was just poor. Mm-hmm. It was just poor. Um, I think Mary in particular standout story for Mary in particular in the sense of playing multiple characters Mm -hmm. for Romana like I said the first 15 minutes were great the last 15 minutes were great two minutes in the middle were good Mm -hmm. and the rest of us not really great she didn't really have a whole lot to do 
again, we didn't really have her uncovering much herself. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Um, so all in all, for me, I thought it was fun, but it wasn't anything special. Mm-hmm. So I gave it three point five. It was fun, yeah, grand, but in in my mind, nothing to write home about mm-hmm. unless you want to watch a Robin Hood story. In which case, yes, yeah, <laughs> here you go, mm-hmm. silver platter. Off the go. Yeah. Uh, so I agree because I've never. I know. I knew of the Prisoner of Zenda. Uh, but mm. I've never seen it and I've never read it. So it reminds me of, as I said, repeatedly, Aeroflynn's Robin Hood, but there's also an element of Man in the Iron Mask in there, you know, kind of. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Um, now, one thing I will say is that, like, I asked the question last week whether David uh, Fisher could do two good stories back-to-back in a continuous narrative. Mm. I think he did. I think he yeah. did. I think he was... Con- his writing was consistent. His characterization of the character, his you know characterization of the guys, was consistent, which is great. Um, so like, I I think that you know he's he's a success story in this regards, uh, but I don't think it was as good as last week. Like I you know Stones was a five. As I said, I gave it a five. You gave it a four. Five, four point seven five. Four point seven five. Yeah. Um, like and like. Like it's not as good as last week. It's not, and I agree. The tertiary characters, not particularly inspiring. Uh, Romana, Roma, Mary was great in this. Mary was fantastic. Mm. Romana, unfortunately, didn't get to do a whole lot other than help expand Reinhardt's character, which isn't mm. a bad thing. No. But you know, after seeing her do so much over the last three stories taking a foot off the brake you know you don't really want to see it especially when she's got such a short span mm. on the show um one thing though that really it just added nothing was this backstory and these references to we don't trust androids and the plague wiped out 90 percent of the population so we had to rebuild the population using androids and we don't trust them and it's like well, clearly they haven't overthrown you yet, so I don't get what the fucking issue is. Also, if you're so concerned about androids taking mm. people's places, build a fucking scanner that's yeah. like something. Like, Loki did it. Yeah, Jesus Christ, do <laughs> are, are you a robot? Do people often not know if they're robots? <laughs> just fucking Blade Runner, like, you know, just like... You know, um, but no, like, I just thought, like, that... That exposition, like it added nothing and it made no sense. It, it, it really didn't. It's like you can still call it the Androids of Tara and just have it be we have life model decoys, you know, for nobility. That, that's all you have to do. You don't have to, like the secret tunnels on the thing. It's like, oh, it was for the royal family to move around during the plague. Why isn't it just an escape avenue for the royal family in event of a siege? <laughs> or. That backstory, that's the one criticism I have in terms of David's, you know, story writing in this particular thing. Made no sense. And it added nothing. It really didn't. Uh, We were talking about, like, you know, know, we don't want an android on the throne. It's like, well, the android has done nothing to give the impression that it's going to take over. You know, it's not showing Skynet-like tendencies. So, uh, yeah. But overall, though, I think everyone is having fun. Good, good performances, mainly f- like from our, as I said, great performance from Mary, 
great performance from Tom. K9 is great as always. But Neville and Peter are really the standouts uh, mm. in the supporting cast, you know? Uh, really, really good. And like you could nearly see them actually doing like a proper version of Prisoner of Zenda and just have them be in it and play their respective mm. characters. And it, like I'd watch it, you know, like if those two guys were in it, I'd definitely watch it. Or if Mary Tam was in it. Mm. Well, I'd watch it. Um I went a small bit higher. I went three point seven five. because okay. uh, it, it didn't crack a four. It didn't. Mm. Um, but I was like, no, like it's uh, it, there's a lot of fun to it. There, there, I, I wasn't, I wasn't bored watching it. You know, yeah, because it, it goes pretty fast. I think. I said the closest I got to being bored was just that fight scene went on a bit too long. Mm. Yeah. Um, but other than that, it was great. So just to give you again, because we're doing, <laughs> I know we shouldn't be comparing seasons and stories, but you know. We started doing it, so I'm just going to keep doing it. So, the current average for both of us now, mm-hmm. um, because I gave slightly lower last week, and I gave higher. For... It's balanced out. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um. So we're at four point three one on average, which still has us higher than Keys of Marinus, which mm-hmm. is a four. Mm-hmm. I said last week that Keys of Marinus isn't really the comparison anymore. The comparison now is season 12 mm. which was Terror of the Zygons, Planet of Evil, Pyramids of Mars Android Invasion took a sizable dip mm. this has also taken a dip but not as much No, Android was a considerable jump for both of us mm-hmm. um, after Pyramids and th- this hasn't been as much but just a reminder that for season 13 um the seasonal average was 4.17 for you mm-hmm. and 4.21 for me. Mm. So we are still above that average. We're still trailing behind season 12, though, which was 4.45 across the board because season 12 is. Is season 12 our highest amazing. season? Or... I believe so. Oh, no. Season 6. Yeah. No, season 7. Season 7. Uh, yeah, John's first John's first season. John's first yeah. season, um, which you know I know that I know obviously I do the average, mm-hmm. but like John's first season did only have four, yeah, whereas the others have six. So, you know, mm-hmm. I know I do the average of them, which should cancel that out. But, mm, but yeah, one turn- one one three point five in there can tank. <laughs> it has the same number of episodes though, because it's three seven partners yeah. and one four partner, but. Yeah. The thing is now it's going to be interesting, right? Because the next two stories, well, I think specifically the next one, doesn't really have a great reputation. Mm-hmm. And then the one after that, uh, there's a kind of like disagreements over whether it's six the landing for the overall season or not. So it, it would be interesting to see if we are getting into, um, oh, what season was it that started off really strong and then it just fucking kind of nosedived? Um Oh, the the preceding season. Sorry, season 15. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see if we're going to enter that territory. But I think we've got actually... We've got four stories here that are actually really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's like, a slight know, dip. We, like, we, we say there's a dip. I mean, we score these stories out of five. Mm-hmm. We gave this story 3.5 and 3.75, respectively. Mm-hmm. We basically gave it 70 to... 75 percent mm-hmm. that's not bad 
It's it's not by any stretch. No, <laughs> do you know? Um, to, again, to give it a comparison, um, Horror Fang Rock we both said was an absolute dinger of mm. a story. Invisible Enemy, you gave it a two point five, mm. and I gave it a three. Image of the Fandal, we both gave it two. Like that's the sign of a bad story. Like Underworld, a one point seven five and a one point five. Like, if we're dipping below the three, that's mm. where, for me, you're like, oh. Uh, do you know what I mean? Three and above, though, three and above is average. Yeah. Season 15 just fucking Leroy Jenkins, the whole thing. It just went, ah. It's like, hey, we're going to have a real sort of um, Philip Hinchcliffe-style story, and then we're just going to go completely in the opposite fucking direction. Mm. Um, but no, I'm... Like I said, I'm really curious to see how the rest of this season plays out. We only have two more stories. Um, I'm not looking forward to seeing Romana 1 leave. Hmm. I want more of her. Um, again, I think she's... I think I think with Romana 1, I'm just going to be reminded of Liz Shaw. Hmm. And this whole thing of so much potential for the character. But Two more stories. We'll see. I have no idea how the regeneration works. I have no idea what that's about. So I can't really speak to how it ends. Because I haven't seen it yet. But we'll see. Next week though, we have, if I'm right, The Power of Crawl. Mm-hmm. The Power of Crawl. The Power of Crawl compels you. <laughs> um, Which I know nothing about. So, yay! <laughs> <laughs> Till then, everyone. Bye. Bye.